Good afternoon. It is good to be with you on this Sabbath. Yesterday, I also went to the memorial site and saw great, great grief. As I was driving away, I kept thinking about the fact that we who trust in the words of Scripture, we who trust in what Jesus taught us, we, at these times of great grief, turn to his words and find great comfort in what he has to say to us about our future, don't we? It's one reason why we call ourselves Adventists, because we believe that there's something coming in the future that is going to be amazing and will bring great healing to our hurting communities. So this morning, I'd like to spend a couple moments with you going through some of the things that Jesus promises us. And if we could say these things to each other today, maybe to the 49 families who are going through great grief, um, wow, what a, what a great way to spend our time this morning. Acts 1, the disciples find themselves looking to heaven. Jesus has left. This is the way that Acts 1 describes it. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hit him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. The word intently could also be translated. They were looking up into the sky with yearning. And yearning as we do every day for what comes in the future, what comes next, don't we? So they were already, within seconds, yearning for Jesus. One of our pioneers wrote this towards the end of his life, James White. I have an unutterable yearning of the soul for Christ. An unutterable yearning for Jesus, the substance of the Christ. Not for streets of gold or crowns or robes. All the accoutrements of heaven that sometimes we talk about. He had a yearning for the presence of Jesus in his life. A yearning of the soul for that. And these disciples find themselves looking into heaven, yearning for Jesus who has just departed. Men of Galilee, two messengers say, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What a great promise. This same Jesus is their way of reminding, him, reminding them, it's the Jesus you know, the one that called you when you were fishing for things in the Galilee and said to you, you're going to do greater things than these. You're going to fish for people, men. You're going to call men to a, meaning of life, a life of meaning and, and fulfillment. It's the same Jesus you saw healing people. It's the Jesus you saw turning water into wine just so his mom wouldn't be embarrassed at a wedding reception. It's the same Jesus that healed lepers, touched them, knowing that even the act of touching them would be a revolutionary act. It's the same Jesus that was angered when anyone was mistreated or an outcast was treated like less than a human being that God imbued with love and grace and holiness and it's the same Jesus that walked with you and was not okay when people were hungry. Just like my, my Hispanic grandmother would not be okay with anyone going hungry. He was like a little Hispanic grandma walking around Palestine going, no one goes hungry today. Who has not eaten? You have not eaten? Get fish and bread. It's that Jesus that loves us so much. So today I wanted to say two things. One is that this is the Jesus we long for. The Jesus we yearn for. 
And if you're like me and you grew up with a, a weird sense of a hope in the coming of Jesus, but also great fear that he's coming today, let's let that go. This is the Jesus that the Gospels paint for us, describe for us, and also that Luke tells us in Acts, this same Jesus, the messenger says, the one that's coming for us. It's the same Jesus, the second thing I'd like to tell you today, is the same Jesus that inspired a writer, John. We call him John the Revelator, to write beautiful and breathtaking things about the life to come. Now, the life to come, he describes, we think we only talk about it as heaven, but actually, if we read Revelation 21, it's actually a new earth, isn't it? Can we settle on that on this afternoon here in Orlando? That earth is our home. Some of you are not okay with Well, what, what do we do with the song? This world is not my home. Well, we have to put it away. <laughs> or at least add a new verse where we actually say what Scripture says, which is, this world is our home. And one day, we come back here. Not to it the way it is now, to it made new. This world's not our home. Well, it kind of is. Back home, there's, there's a sticker people put on their cars. It's well-meaning. It says, not of this world. I know what they mean. I know what the, Paul the writer meant. He, Paul meant, I'm not of the arrangement of this world, of the way things are in this world. But ultimately, we are of this world. And a sticker should say, I'm not of this world right now the way it is, but someday I'm coming back here to a world made new. <laughs> The writer, John, also says to us, the dwelling of God will be here with us. Now, dwelling, by the way, we love to change the word dwelling into mansions, don't we? And we even have a song about it. In mansions of glory. Because we don't like the place we live in now. The, the one that I'm going to be in in the earth made new is going to be a gigantic estate on 100 acres. Horses and sheep and deer, livestock. Why, why, why do we do that? I mean, um, what John saw was a city, and not a beautiful subdivision, shady acres, where everyone gets the, the home they dreamt of. What John saw was a, a city coming from heaven. And that the this realm of God and the realm we live in now collapse into each other, and now we live with God. Now the dwelling of God is with people. Now, would you rather live in that dwelling, or are you still hoping for that mansion? I don't know. I, I was hoping for the mansion. I'll tell you what, every one of these 49 families would give up a mansion today, wouldn't they? They would give up streets of gold, I guarantee you that. They'd give up crowns, literal crowns. Do we need those? Or are they metaphors, crowns of righteousness, crowns of glory, crowns of... But no, we, we go all the way out. We even put jewels on them. Oh, my crown's going to be huge. How inconvenient would it be to live eternity with a crown on your head? What else does the Revelator tells us this? The Revelator says... Um, you know, the future is together. The city represents life together in community, not life separate in your own little home and subdivision. 
Um, the relator describes this, by the way. I love this image. The first thing we do when we are finally in the presence, the substance of Jesus with God, it is a wedding reception celebration. Do you love a wedding reception? I do. I get to do a lot of weddings. I'm a university chaplain. So I go to a lot of receptions where, where people spend prodigal amounts of money on food. I mean, no one goes to Costco and buys cookies and punch. I tell couples who are getting married, just give us something easy. Open a box of Triscuits. <laughs> um, but no, there's always a mother involved. And this mother knows this is going to be a royal wedding. Yeah, a wedding reception is what we do. You know why I believe that John the Revelator saw it as a wedding ceremony? Not just because it follows the thread, a metaphor of bride and groom throughout Scripture, but also because of this. I saw it firsthand back home. A, a beautiful bride and a groom, they got engaged. They asked me to officiate their wedding. The bride, recent convert into our Adventist tribe, um, decided there's going to be a dance at my wedding. <gasps> Ooh, we don't do that. The groom's family said, absolutely not. You know, the bride, I, I actually tried to talk the bride into changing the name of the dance to rapid repositioning instead of dancing. <laughs> she said, it's going to be a dance. It's the way I imagined it. It's the way it's going to be. The groom said, um, would you please come and mediate between our families to see if we can come to one accord? I went to that meeting, and it was ugly. We will not come to that wedding if there's dancing. And they followed through on this commitment. Can you imagine a family saying, no, we will not be at that wedding? Oh, it caused great pain. Great pain. Relationships broken. And we all showed up to the wedding and acted happy knowing that there was a whole pew of missing people. We went to the reception, and we're sitting at the reception, and the bride's song, the chosen song begins. I see blue skies. We all saw partly cloudy skies. And then a storm moved in because the, the groom's family opened the doors and showed up to the reception. Oh, man, I know. You're tense. Let me just, Yeah. My wife turns to me and says, Samuel. And when she says, Samuel, <laughs> that's an imperative. Samuel, do something. <laughs> Don't be fooled by how I look. I am not a bodybuilder. <laughs> I have nothing to offer here. My, my gift is words. I use words. And I don't think words are going to help here. So the, the groom's father makes his way to the dance floor with a determined, I'm good, something's going to happen. He's walking there. And now she's like, get up and do something. I said, yes. I get up thinking I'll just at least be a buffer between the two. When he reaches the dance floor, he moves his son aside, grabs the bride's hands, and begins to dance with her. I love that. It's the same reaction the last service. Like, oh, oh, you're relieved. Imagine you're relieved. Imagine what we went through in that hall. Tears. 
I mean, people were walking around going, I love you. And if I ever said anything to forgive, I forgive you. And there was a great reconciliation drama going on in the whole place. Not a dry eye in the whole reception. Why? Because we were all witnesses to reconciliation. Maybe what John saw at the wedding feast of the Lamb was a great ceremony of reconciliation. All things reconciled. All people reconciled. Relationships that were broken reconciled. Do you want that? Is that a vision of the future that excites you today? It does me. Wow. Here's other ways that John describes this beautiful future. There is no temple because the temple is God and Jesus the Lamb. No need for a church as much as we love this place because the very presence of God will be with us. He is the temple. No light. Why? Because the glory of God is the light and its lamp is Jesus the Lamb. Revelation 21, 22. The throne, the only throne is the throne of God and Jesus the Lamb. Food abundant. I mean, there must have been a scarcity of food in John's time, which is why he always describes the coming, the coming earth, the new earth, as having abundant food. A tree of life that gives fruit, all kinds of fruit. Although I always joke, all I need is mango. If they can do mango for 12 months out of the year, I'm good with that. You have your own fruit, I know. John describes this place, this new earth, as, as having no sea, no ocean. Which must be disturbing to you Floridians. <laughs> what, what does that mean? I love the beach. Some of you are already planning. If this guy ends, soon we can still make it. <laughs> we live that close. I'm, I'm like you. We also have the, the ocean nearby, and we love it. If That's the top of the list. If we could do something on a Sabbath afternoon, if we had to choose the ocean, the beach. Why then does John describe the new earth as having no sea? I don't know. Well, I do know, actually. The, um, the woman I'm married to, um, we don't have a perfect marriage. She has some things she's working on. Um, <laughs> We will. I've said this now two times. She actually watched this morning and said, Can you not say that again? I said it again. <laughs> she, <laughs> she loves to hike, is one of her faults. I like to eat, watch TV read, go on walks. She likes to hike. And the harder the hike, the better. One day we had great, a great privilege of traveling in the Mediterranean Sea. And this cruise we were on stopped on the island of Patmos where John the Revelator wrote this great apocalypse, our, our book of Revelation. And we're there and we went to the grotto, the cave where allegedly he wrote it. You know, and we say allegedly in front of, because they've built cathedrals around every place they imagine may have been the place where John or Jesus or any of the apostles have done something. There's this great cathedral of the church, and they even have a little hole where John may have put his hand while he was resting it from writing, 
and it put little jewels around it. And so people come and they kneel at it. And there's the hole where the pen where John rested his hand. Once we're done with this, Shelley says, and now we're going on a hike. We're going to hike to the top of the island. I said, yeah, we're on a cruise. Right, the exercise is like we're hiking to the top of this mountain. I said, great, let's do that then. We hiked, took us an hour and a half. When we get to the very top, I got it. I understood the reason why John imagined no sea. It's because on that clear day, you could see the outline far, far in the distance of Ephesus, his home. The community that he had pastored, that he loved. And if you know anything about John, you know that, that his love language was quality time. He could see it every day, probably. And as he was getting older, because he had been exiled to this island, and the emperor was not happy with him saying, there is another Lord, and his name is Jesus, not you. <laughs> they sent him to this island to die with the rest of these convicts. And every day, he must have climbed to this mountain and looked across on clear days, he could see across the sea where his people were. So the New York he imagines, there is no ocean. There is no sea that separates me from those I love. And one day, for these 49 families, there will be no sea that separates them from those they love. There are no, well, there's gates in the city, get this, but they're always open. Which begs the question, why have gates if you're never going to close them? Which is probably a statement of openness. Like, there may be gates, but they're always going to be open. Just like your doors are open. And you open them this week, you said, we're going to open these doors because we want that to be the posture of our church in this community. And by the way, pastor, you, you've talked now, twice I've heard you talk about, um, we've tried to attract people to our church and get attention. But the, the difference this week was that you were church. And you can't do something that you're not. God calls us to be church first. And when people see us being church, they recognize that. And what they clamor for is the presence of God in these places. And they'll find it here in these great cathedrals of hope. John sees a future with no death or illness, no tears, no mourning, racial equality, gender equality, no poverty, no violence, no rampant consumerism or disregard for the created order. No, I mean, no violence? Do we want that future? Yes. Kindness and justice and truth and grace, love, peace, shalom. What a vision that ignites us today. But here's the thing, this vision of the future, breathtaking, one author says, it occupies our minds, it just, it should completely overwhelm us, this vision of the future, but also, it should summon us to give concrete witness to it now. Are you with me? Because if you say, I believe in a future where there is no poverty, we better be the ones alleviating part of poverty right now. Otherwise, our witness is compromised, isn't it? Yeah. 
If I believe in a future where there is no gender inequality, then I better work towards that here now. If I believe in a future without violence, then I have to be the one here on earth saying, how do we figure out ways to stop these cycles of violence? We should be the first ones in line. If I believe in a future where there's a beautiful earth made new, where no one is completely destroying the environment for our own good and consumption, then we should be the first ones in line saying, hey, the future is beautiful in an earth made new. Let's practice how to live in it now. If we're the ones who believe that there'll be no tears in the future, our home in the future, we should be the ones first in line drying them here on earth. We can't say we believe in this breathtaking view of the future if we're not the ones here on earth giving concrete witness to it now. The gates always open. Our doors always open. Our hearts always open to those in need. So, um, I'm on a wedding theme this, this day because I do so many weddings. So many of my illustrations are from weddings. A beautiful couple, um, Andrew and Caitlin, asked me to officiate their wedding. And because weddings, you know, couples that want it all to be a beautiful Pinteresty kind of wedding now, they all have a, a vision of this unique wedding they came up with a really unique idea. They were going to get married in Joshua Tree National Park. If you know anything about national parks, it is illegal to get married in a national park. So they gave us this map. And the map had us parking in some strange little side road, and then you had to hike for 20 minutes into this spot you had to find with no cell phone service. So you know, well, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Something happens, we're all dead. Um, and they set up this little wedding area, and it was in this, this last December. So what they didn't think about is the fact that it actually gets really cold in the desert in, in the winter. It was probably, it was low 40s. The bride, look at them, just disgustingly cute. Look at the, the two of them. She was um, hypothermic. She was actually blue. She weighs all of like 80 pounds, and she's, um, they retouched this picture to make it look like she's actually um, alive. Um, <laughs> So we do this wedding, everyone's happy, freezing, and we walk over to another site, illegal reception site, where we're having, you know, a reception, and towards the end of the reception, because I had to go, I went and said, hey, so where are you going on your honeymoon? And the very question made her cry. She began to weep, like deep, like deep weeping. I said, whoa, wow, that's, I've never gotten that reaction before for asking where you're going for your honeymoon. So I turned to Andrew. Andrew, where are you going for your honeymoon? Can you say? And he begins to cry too. And he just holds her. And they're both now weeping in front of me. And I thought, well, s- s- someone needs to explain to you what happens in the honeymoon. This is what's stressing you. Someone probably should have a conversation with you. I don't want to be that person, but, you know. And they said, no, it's not that. It's not, it's not that. So I let it be. I said, okay, well... Enjoy. <laughs> so they went on their honeymoon for two weeks, and during their honeymoon, they posted two pictures. The first one is this one right here, Caitlin, in a kitchen. These two crazy kids, this is what happened. 
the summer before their wedding, they saw waves of Syrian immigrants washing up on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, the coastlines. And there was a day when they saw this baby, this toddler, that we all saw on that beach in Turkey, and they could not stand it. So for their honeymoon, they spent two weeks on the island of Kos. She preparing meals in a kitchen for refugees. And the next picture shows you what Andrew did for two weeks. He walked the beaches of the island, literally pulling families out of the water. They came home and I said, You're, I want to see them. What, what have you done? And they said, you preached this sermon. We heard you. You said, those of us who believe in a future, who have trusted the words of John the Revelator, who have painted this future of a life to come, where there are no tears, where justice reigns, equality reigns, we have to give concrete witness to it now. And what better way to do that than to spend our honeymoon doing that? Lord Jesus, on this afternoon, we, your people, gathered in a place that has seen suffering in a community that is hurting. We pray that this vision of the future that you give us we trust it, and we pray that you'll give us the courage to be concrete witnesses to your goodness and to this earth made new. Now. We pray this, Lord God, in your Son's name. Amen.